This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, September 13th, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. The relatively free movement of things, people, and services across borders is under constant threat. Anti-globalization narratives, however, aren't just inaccurate. They ignore the dramatic and sustained benefits that global freedom of exchange has delivered. Cato's new Defending Globalization project aims to take up that defense of global freedom of trade and movement. I spoke with Scott Lincecum about the project. If you don't follow trade very closely, if you don't follow, you know, the the Wall Street Journal or Financial Times talking about things moving across borders and uh, components going into various things, uh, and and you're just all you see is what's available at the store, uh, and you don't know how any of it really got there, it's probably pretty easy to come up with or be swayed by. Arguments that uh, cast uh, sort of suspicion on globalization, on the notion that freer people uh, associating freely across borders to cooperate to produce goods and services for people and earning a tidy profit in the process. You might be very skeptical. You might be easily swayed to be extremely skeptical of this process. Yeah, and um, it's especially the case these days when uh, your political leadership, whether you're on Team Red or Team Blue, um, are more frequently than in past decades um, casting their own aspersions on all of this, right? Um, You know, since... Uh, really before the Trump administration, um, but especially amplified during the Trump administration and now with the Biden administration, uh, you know, uh, globalization is a is a four letter word. Um, it really harkens back in a lot of ways to the late 1990s, you know, when we had these widespread protests in Seattle. Now, back then it was, you know, anarchists and environmentalists. Now, instead, it's it's uh, wonks and politicians in Washington. But a lot of the rhetoric is very much the same, that, you know, decades of unfettered trade and capital flows and migration have been an absolute disaster, right, for the working class, um, whoever that is, uh, and here and abroad, right? Um, if you listen to our United States trade representative these days, um, it's actually been quite terrible for the developing world as well. Um, and of course, it's been terrible for, for, um, for the American working class, hence their, you know, worker-centric protectionism. Um, so yeah, it's very easy for normal folks, you know, capital N, capital F, uh, to, to lose the, the script because, um, it, you know, look, yeah, you know, we are busy people. Not all of us are uh, dorks like me that actually like to read about globalization stuff. Uh, and so if you're just, yeah, if you go to the store, you see everything's made uh, abroad. You hear on the news about a factory closure um, or something like that. And of course, you hear, you know, uh, President Biden or President Trump or somebody else saying all this stuff. Yeah, you can you can have a pretty skeptical view. Um when, when in reality, those of us who are, you know, h- hanging out in the weeds of all this stuff, uh, have a much, much different view of all of it. And globalization, you know, unlike a lot of economics, it, uh, it bears, uh, t- to go back to the absolute core yeah. understanding of what trade is, what trade accomplishes, 
and what free people can do if uh, they're allowed to to apply their skills in various ways in various places yeah and uh try to better their own lives yeah yeah and you know one of the reasons um we started this project uh was because of you know all of the kind of errors and half truths and stuff that's out there um related to a lot of the stuff we just mentioned particularly coming from the political class coming from the kind of pundit class out there um but the other reason was that you know, we really seem to have forgotten that what we call globalization, so the relatively free movement of stuff, goods and services, of people, of ideas, and of capital, um, really at the end of the day is not about uh, faceless political regimes or uh, evil multinational corporations um, or hollow trade statistics at the national level. Um, it's really just about people doing people stuff. Um, it's about what free people have been doing at some level since the dawn of recorded history. I mean, you know, you go back to like 3000 BC is the first evidence of long distance trade. Now it's gotten easier thanks to technology. It's gotten easier thanks to the elimination of government barriers um, as modern nation states developed and became protectionist for whatever reason. But uh, the fundamental truth that um, you know man is an animal that trades, as Adam Smith put it, uh, and that humans have been doing this for millennia is true. And it's really critical to, to think about globalization in this way, and not just trade. Whether trade, of course, you know, in all these forms is cool, but migration and the exchange of ideas um, for money or not um, is is critical to understand as kind of your first principles and your foundation. Because if you don't know that, you lose sight of, of the importance of protecting or allowing those things to happen freely when allowing those things to happen freely when uh, government interventions are proposed. So when uh, if you're only thinking about the United States versus China in the trade context, for example, um, then it's actually pretty easy to say, oh, yeah, we need new tariffs or we need new sanctions and export controls. If you're only thinking about you know chaos at the southern border, you're thinking, oh, well, we need a border wall, right? We need to restrict immigration. If, again, you're thinking about the potential problems and these geopolitical conflicts, maybe um, we need to restrict uh, the exchange of ideas between scientists abroad and our own scientists and that kind of thing. So um, we, you, you have to – if you know about kind of the human element though, then you say, wait a second. This is actually uh, governments and politicians getting in between what are voluntary transactions between people um, and and put, inserting themselves into these millions and millions of stories that happen every day. And one of the myths that I think is uh, floated out there by – especially by politicians is the notion – that we live in a world where everything is really right. free and uh, it's it's like the statue in front of the Federal Trade Commission of a man restraining or constraining yeah. trade and, and holding it back, this, this powerful market. The fact is that governments have their thumbs in almost every pie you can imagine when it comes to cross-border trade in goods, services, and movement of people. For sure. Um, yeah, you know, this is, I think, the biggest 
myth about modern globalization is that we live in this world of unfettered markets. Uh, when in reality, uh, yes, uh, tariffs have been liberalized um, for sure. But boy, there are a lot of other things that that are still uh, gumming up the works. Um, you know, sticking in the trade space, uh, look, services are still um, very much restricted, uh, even though a lot of services, particularly with the digital economy, are tradable. Um, a, a lot of that is due to state and local restrictions on licensing, you know, like a, you need a, a bar license to practice law or a medical license to rest. Um, but there are plenty of federal restrictions on the provision of services. And quite frankly, there's still a lot of federal restrictions on goods. You know, we have uh, uh, more than 600 anti-dumping duty orders in place. Um, we have tariffs, high tariffs on, on pickup trucks and on uh, t-shirts and shoes and of course sugar quotas. Yeah, right. And oh, yes. And for, yes, the things manufacturers need to make other stuff, right? So, um, and then you have have, of course, you know, we had this wonderful paper that David Beer just re released on the impossibility of, of actually getting a green card in the United States, right? So there are tons of restrictions on the ability to move freely uh, in the United States and elsewhere. Um, we impose pretty substantial restrictions on uh, the trade in ideas, right? The, um, you know, you certainly, it's easier, but it's not, it's not easy to do a lot of that stuff either, whether it's for intellectual property reasons or whatever. Uh, so, so the idea that, that the problems that exist are due to this kind of unfettered markets really is it defies, defies reality. And you need to kind of start with that. Um, because if you, if you think, oh, well, we live in a perfectly globalized world, um, not only is it easy to blame every, all of life's problems on, on, on unfettered globalization, but also, um, it allows us to rest on our laurels and say, well, we don't, we don't, okay, globalization's done. We don't need to do anything more, right? Uh, and that ignores that, look, for all of the gains that have been in, in extreme declines in extreme poverty, right? And declines in child labor, uh, improvements in inequality, as, you know, Chelsea Follett's paper, um, shows, uh, improvements in living standards in the United States and abroad, still, work to be done. You know, there's still hundreds of millions of people around the world who live in abject poverty, uh, you know, below $2 a day. Uh, there are still a lot of children and women and others who, uh, as Bono put it in an interview in the New York Times, could use a little more globalization, actually. Um, I went in a, just a fantastic interview along those lines. Um, and so it's, it's, you know, that's a big part of this is not just simply, even though the project is called defending globalization, we're not just really defending globalization. We want to be out there arguing for more of it in the years ahead, because there is a lot of work left to be done. There is a lot of fruit to be picked. Um, and quite frankly, we could all use a little more of it. Um, and, and that's hopefully what we can, we can get people to understand. There is great uh, political advantage to be sought in taking issue, you know, picking out some individual example, right. you know, in my district, um, and trying to extrapolate from the, the one piece of bad news and then say, well, that clearly justifies right. 
broad restrictions on the ability of American entrepreneurs, on the ability of individual Americans to engage with the rest of the world as they see fit. And uh, I, I think the average voter who is not like no. you, Scott. Good, good for them. Doesn't doesn't dig into dig yes, good for them. Doesn't yeah. dig into these uh the data and uh the incentives at work and are you know can be swayed by it, but that potential political capital to be gained by lobbying those criticisms, um it's it's huge. Yeah, it is. It's catnip for sure. Um, and this goes back to why it's really important to talk about all these success stories, right? And about how these are real people. You know, the it's not, I mean, and there's there's fun ones for sure. Um, you know, uh, one of my favorite recent ones is about a guy in Pakistan who is um, making a fortune selling Philly cheesesteaks. Um, and he's doing it with a, a slight change, right? But um, there's a, a millions and millions of these neat beneficial stories every day, um, abroad and at home. Um, you know, there was another great story recently of a guy in Dallas who hired uh, a tutor uh, from abroad to help his son learn algebra, right? That's good old digital trade and services right there. We don't think about any of these stories, right? It's only the bad news, even though the good news outweighs the bad uh 10 million to one, right? Um, but I think the other thing that's critically important and, and why this project I, I'm hoping will help the narrative is that we think of globalization as just, you know, container ships and, uh, steel imports. And certainly that stuff's important, but globalization is so much more. It is, I just mentioned food, right? You know, I, I have written an essay about how there's probably no better example of the benefits of globalization than the restaurant down the street. You know, you're going to probably be eating a cuisine that didn't come from America. Uh, the ingredients are probably a combination of imported and abroad, and they're going to be packed in materials from here and abroad. Uh, the people who work there or own the place are probably a mix of natives and Amer uh, native American, native born Americans and, and immigrants. Um, you can just on and on and on and on, right? Um, and when we talk about globalization, capital G, as just container ships and steel imports, we lose all of that stuff. We lose um, all of the immense benefits of cross-border uh, creativity and collaboration, you know, whether it's, you know, the, the Pfizer vaccine or um, a work of art um, and a, like a new movie or, you know, Squid Game from, from Korea. We lose sight of all of it. And so that's the other really important point that the kind of any globalization forces out there, the critics, uh, want us to not only think of of globalization as us versus them, China versus America, but they want us to ignore all the really, really cool, positive, unseen benefits of, again, just people doing people stuff that happens to cross national borders. Scott Lincecum is vice president for general economics at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please. And thank you for listening. <laughs>